The purpose of Wealth Talk is to educate, inform, and hopefully entertain you on the subject of building your wealth. Wealth Builders recommends you should always take independent financial, tax, or legal advice before making any decisions around your finances. Welcome to episode 60 of Wealth Talk. My name is Christian Rodwell, the membership director for Wealth Builders, and I'm joined today by our founder, Mr. Kevin Whelan. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Chris. How are you doing today? Excellent. Very well. Thank you. And um, looking forward to today's guest, who is a returning guest, actually. It's Guy Bartlett from the Fidelis Group. And uh, Guy, for those listeners, will remember, talked to us about the process of selling a business back in episode 46. But we're looking at the different side of things, more the acquisition side of the process today. Yes, buying business or getting on the acquisition trail. Sounds complicated, but... It's really not. It's just the same as buying any asset. You just have to know how, you have to know when, and you have to know what to do. And we know how to do that. And it doesn't seem that long ago, does it? February when he was on. Uh, But look what a different world businesses are in now. What about this COVID and how devastating it's been for some businesses, Chris? Indeed. Yeah, no, a lot has, has happened since we last spoke to Guy. And Guy has really been uh, putting a lot of time and research into just the bigger picture. So he'll be talking today about, you know, what are some of the stimulus that the governments might be putting in place, but also how you can be very well positioned and especially those people who may have a, a SAS pension, Kevin. Um, so perhaps we can touch on that after we've heard from Guy. Oh, absolutely. But uh, just a A little hint for those who are seasoned listeners of the podcast, Chris, is although Guy talks very elegantly and ethically about business, listen for the general wealth lessons. See if you can spot them. Chris and I will discuss them at the end. Guy, welcome back to Wealth Talk. Hi, Chris. Good to see you. Thanks for having me back. No, you're very welcome. So we spoke not that long ago and that time we were talking about selling a business and today we're revisiting but more looking at the acquisition side of things and specifically really how the market has changed over the last couple of months with the global pandemic so um, just for those who maybe didn't catch you the first time Guy would you mind just giving a little brief background to yourself? Yeah sure Um, so uh, after a very brief career in the regular army uh, I switched into industry spent uh probably 20 years 15 years something like that as an employee classic kind of you know climbing the greasy pole and then had the opportunity to join a business um first as an employee then as a director shareholder grew that company from scratch to seven figures um major clients like Sainsbury's and Iceland and uh, and so on uh, Man City Football Club at one point um had the classic shareholder fallout and part of that was because I'd got fascinated in growth of a business through acquisition um, most companies kind of do that and then kind of plateau for a variety of reasons which we touched on last time and uh, you know, my fascination was how can we grow and acquisition seemed to me a logical way to see a, a, a business continue to grow exponentially really so I started to, to buy companies in uh, in the mid 2000s um, and subsequently set up the business buyers club uh, which was a coaching is a coaching business helping people understand how to do this if they've got the same desire. Um, and then I helped to found the Fidelis Group in 2017, which is with my two partners Terry and Sean. We actively acquire companies uh, and we apply something called the Fidelis Business System, which is a whole in-depth process to take a 
a good solid balance sheet strong company but but then grow that as an operating company uh, alongside our continuous acquisition process really so i guess that's a a bit of a potted history as to how i got to where i am now yeah. um, i'm i think i'm what do they call it I, after 30 years i'm an overnight success something like that anyway so and so for any of our listeners guy who are interested in the whole concept of buying businesses and obviously you know creating a recurring income stream from from this you know who who is this kind of suitable for who should who should be thinking about it and you know what does it involve well at, at a, there's two ways to look at it so um if if you are an employee um junior senior doesn't really matter and the light bulb has come on and you thought you know what i don't want to be a wage slave for the rest of my life um and, and some people can earn very very good money from um, being an employee without question but if you look closely at, at the tax regime and a, and a great um a great exposer of the system if you like is robert kiyosaki so anyone that wants to get into this i would suggest start by reading Robert Kiyosaki stuff or watching some of his his free to air videos because he explains in a lot a lot of detail that the the system of employment and taxation so on that applies to employees um, and and it, and it was listening to Robert and reading his book uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad the Cash Flow Quadrant that for me was quite a seminal moment and got me to think differently around that whole business of shifting from an employee to to a business owner. But when I started to do that, I was still very much um, a, 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 I owned a job. So I, although I, I own shares in a company, effectively, I just owned a job. So I'd, I'd gone from working for a tough boss to working for a lunatic boss, which was myself, uh, and um, you know, worked incredibly hard. And, and the transition was that, that change from wanting to grow a business because it's what I did. And that's what most business owners do. They they still own their job. They love the thing that they do. Um, they're the mechanic in, in the business. They're not uh, seeing their business as an asset, as a revenue generating process. And, and so that change for me was about, okay, how do I take my business and make it sustainable, repeatable? Um, if you come across Brad Sugars, founder of Action Coach, he, he uses a really nice definition, which is a commercial profitable enterprise that works without me. So it's like, how do you elevate yourself with a management team underneath you to run that business so that you can go off and do things that you want to do whilst that business continues to grow and be successful and generate cash for you? So it's it's a true asset. In the same way we think of property, we might invest in, in a portfolio of property, this idea of passive income. Property obviously has to still get managed. But if you do that right, then you've got a revenue stream coming from an, an asset class, which people think of in terms of bricks and mortar. And there's no real reason why you shouldn't think of business in the same way. The, the trick, of course, is if you get involved in acquiring a business, you've got to be fairly ruthless and very clear and have a system so that you don't get dragged into that business. That's the challenge. So to answer your question directly, anyone can do it. But I always try to counsel people to, to understand why they're doing it in the first place. If it's purely about making money, generally speaking, you, you, know, you could achieve that aim just being a successful employee, to, to be fair. But you won't have ultimate control over your future. So at, at the lower end of, of the spectrum, um, I've helped people to basically buy a business so that they're, they're starting to be in control of their, of their own destiny. So an example was a, a guy called Paul who 
um, was having to work on building sites. He'd had, you know, just just misfortune in, in other areas of his life was was struggling, but but could see the way forward. And he ended up buying a, a gate and security company, doing about, I think he was doing about seven hundred thousand turnover and making some money. So he transformed his life from struggling and working on building sites to owning a business. But he, but he consciously wanted to step into that business to work in the business. He had a skill set in sales and marketing, so he could see that he could contribute to that business. And once he'd got stability and he'd got revenue for himself and he'd got himself in a good place, got a new car, got a home, etc., then he could start to think about the next acquisition. So that's a, that's a totally viable, good start point, but it's a conscious decision. But for Dallas, we, we, we're at the different end of the spectrum. So we're looking for businesses that are generally quite a bit bigger, uh, um, and, 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 and with an existing management team. So we're not buying a job. It's not like we've got to go into that business and, and work in it. We want to work on that management team and the existing business and change the systems and improve the business and grow the business that way. So we work on the company, not, not in the company. And that's really the difference. And that's a, we've got a process now that we've been refining and refining. And it's an ongoing process, which is about constant improvement. It's an old Japanese term called Kaizen. Um, which is that sort of con- concept of continuous iter- iterative improvement. So I'd say that's the other end of the spectrum, really. Um, and and, and you know, that, that is the advice to give to anybody who thinks, right, I, I want to take control of my destiny. Um, I like the business of business. I think you've got to be captivated and excited by the idea of business itself as a, as a thing. I, I always was as a kid, but never imagined I'd be doing what I do now. Thought it'd be a career soldier, so um, yeah, very different scenario, really. And I think that's the start point. Once you've you've had that honest debate with yourself or your partner or partners, then then you can start to make a conscious decision as to what it is that you want to go and acquire. Um, and as I as I wrote in my book, it's the most fun you can have with your clothes on. <laughs> and I know you've been doing a lot of research over the last couple of months, Guy. Certainly since the COVID pandemic kicked in and the landscape of course is changing Uh, many are saying you know things just won't be the same again so I'd love to hear your thoughts on on some of that and um, you know the kind of what the next six to 12 months or even beyond that might look for business owners and for that industry I think it's going to affect different industries in different ways our our existing uh, acquisition portfolios uh, focused in the construction industry so we we work in house building uh, and other areas of construction and to some extent utility services so we've done an exercise it's probably three key components so the first one is to look very closely at um, our balance sheet our profit and loss and our our cash flow forecast because in a situation like this it's an old maxim but cash is king so very very detailed forecasts out over the next 20 weeks and um, to try to assess what the impact is going to be on cash at bank and if we run out of cash then we run out of options basically so we've been looking at things like c bills you know we weren't going to borrow money before now we've got to contemplate if we borrow that money um we've got to pay back at some stage what's that going to look like um, but the c bill scheme it, you know, is quite favourable in terms of delays to repayment and, and interest rates and so on. So that's an active uh, consideration. And also the bounce-back loans. Furlough for us didn't work. Um, we love the partnership model. So we tend to move our people into a partnership, a bit like John Lewis. 
um, but we fell foul of the fact the government regards workers such as that as self-employed, so we couldn't claim furlough. So again, we've had to find ways to financially support our people. So that's been quite a challenge, really. Um, but Touchwood, we're working our way through that as well. I think the second point then is, what is the industry that you're in? As I touched on the market we're in now, curiously, the government now seems to be pushing really hard for construction to go back. Um, but we've been busy looking at things like how we work, how we socially distance in the context of our industries, um, and what impact that has on production. And for every business, everybody should be thinking about that because, as you said, um, Chris, it's not going to be like it was before. So you've got to think about, realistically, what level of production can you achieve whilst keeping people safe? And we do have to be sensible about that. We do have to be mindful of safety, health and safety, care, duty of care for our people as well. And then there's the macro picture. So what's going to happen to the economy? So we saw a massive contraction in the last quarter reported by the Bank of England, which I found bizarre and that it was almost like the last item on the news. Um, you know, as sad as it is, you know, some, some old people died in a care home. Oh, by the way, the, the, the economy contracted by 14%. It's like, hang on a minute. If we grow by half a percent to 1%, we're celebrating in the streets. And here we are reporting a contraction. It's kind of the last thing on the news. So I, I do think the media diet is heavily skewed uh, to, to drama rather than the drama that's coming. So the question we've been asking ourselves is if the last quarter's contraction was 14%, what's the impact over a year? So we've made some planning assumptions that perhaps 20% um, will be the impact overall, which means a one of our businesses doing you know five million is going to see a significant drop in sales over the next twelve months. So then that informs our planning, our investment decisions. How do we recruit? Who do who do we keep on on the team? We're gonna we're gonna lose people. It's as simple as that. Uh, how do we ring fence the clients? How do we make sure we've got the best paying customers? And do we, how do we keep our margins up? And already we've seen one client openly write to us and say we want you to take a haircut on your margins well how does that help us to stay in business to be part of their supply chain um you know and that's the kind of thing that's going to happen so we've written back to say you've got a really strong balance sheet you can afford this if you start cutting into the margins of your supply chain there won't be one there when you need it so that sort of stuff is is going on and i think the third thing is looking at the global economy and say we are part of this global village um, you know, what's going on at a global economic, uh, monetary and fiscal level. And we're all flipping busy right now. We're flat out trying to figure out what's going on. But I think if you're in business or you're investing, then you've got to educate yourself. There's so much good stuff on YouTube. And I don't mean the fluffy things from Piers Morgan. I mean, really good commentators who know their stuff. Um, my advice is try and avoid, you know, sound bites from Warren Buffett. It's not relevant. Look to people who understand, you know, markets. Uh, Raoul Powell, for example. Um, I didn't know about him until Trevor, my colleague, pointed him out to me. So if anyone's interested in what we consider to be really good quality advice and guidance, let me know, and I'll happily share that, you know, for the the listeners and uh, and, and the watchers. But education. Is really important and you can do that you know an hour a day um, but that will help massively because it instead of thinking oh my god you know what am I going to do uh, education and knowledge is power once you once you have that knowledge and understanding takes away some of the fear factor 
Yeah, it's not going to be nice. It's going to be tough. But it's a lot, lot easier when when you're not in that place of oh, I don't know what's going to happen, um, and you've got some some focus on on where to go next. Really, so I think those are the three things. You know, hardcore day to day cash. How am I going to manage cash? What's my revenue? Where are we going? Secondly, what's happening to clients and their ecosystem in the in the marketplace and the UK economy? The government almost certainly is going to have to support the UK housing market. And one of my predictions is that we'll see the return of self-certified mortgages. They've got to loosen the mortgage strings that the FCA placed, uh, you know, over the last few years because there just won't be liquidity in mortgages and and and. And, ha- and selling houses is critical for a number of factors. Like if you think about consumption, we're a consumptive economy. The government need people to go and buy stuff, you know, sofas and decorating and curtains and, and kitchens and all of the stuff that we put into our houses, that's consumption and they need consumption. But the flip side, of course, is everyone's going to be going, oh, better batten down the hatches. I best not buy that kitchen. So the, the irony is the thing that, that the government need us to do to rebuild the economy, logically, most people will go, I'll just sit on my cash. I'll sit on my hands. So it becomes this really difficult. So pay attention to what stimulus, like extending furlough, the government are going to throw into the, into the mix, essentially. Uh, and it's just about picking you know, those, those things and the time to move, really. So, uh, and the third, as I said, is is global macros. Look, look what the Fed are doing. They start talking about the balance sheet of the central bank. So, the Fed, the Bank of England, Bank of Japan, and so on. And just kind of understand the global context, really. And uh, and I, I I've been doing that because I want to educate myself and I want to understand the bigger picture, and ultimately how that trickles down to us. So, uh, is that is that helpful? It is. Yeah. And undoubtedly, there's going to be many distressed business owners. It's been a a very tough time. It's certainly we're not out of the woods yet. What are some of the opportunities that potentially might be out there uh, moving forwards, Guy? And how can someone be in a position to obviously know how to look out for those? You hit the nail on the head, um, Chris. So it's distressed business owners, not distressed businesses. Um, There will always be distressed businesses. Um, Already in our sector, we've seen quite a big scaffolding company go in the Midlands uh, just recently. The truth is they were probably struggling anyway. Um, and as, as in the old phrase, today is a good day to bury bad news. You know, coronavirus will be used as a, a catalyst, an excuse, whatever you want to call it, for businesses failing. Um, I'm not a proponent of uh, distressed purchase. I don't like turnaround or, or rescue. It's not, it's not something I'm a fan of, really. Um, the reasons are complex. It, it, you step into a, into a difficult position when you, when you look at a company like that. Upset staff, upset clients, upset suppliers. And unless you've got deep pockets and you really know what you're doing, it's not an area I, I advocate, really. So going back to your, your point, there will be lots of business owners, particularly because of demographics and the baby boomers. We've got a lot of people in their 60s and 70s still trying to run companies who will, will really struggle with energy and motivation and, and the fear factor. And it's not about exploitation. It's about saying, OK, I can help you to exit your business. But the big opportunity is in the structure of deals that's going to change now. So what I mean by that is, we were buying companies before where we would typically pay between 50 and 65% of the enterprise value. So let's say the business was priced at 4 million quid. 
we'd pay somewhere between 50 and 65% of that on, on the day of completion. So that's that first tranche of money to the, the business owner. And then um, the rest would be over what's called deferred consideration. So a period of time agreed between us, us and the seller, to pay down the rest of that cash. All very tax efficient, um, but, but helps to ring fence the deal for us as the buyer and secures the future um, for, the, for the seller as well. I believe that that's really a thing of the past now. Um, the percentage that's going to get paid on day one is going to be less um, because of the risk factors. Uh, depends on the balance sheet. Depends what is genuinely leverageable uh, amounts of money. But more crucially, what people are going to say is, that, so in simple terms, if you valued a business at 4 million quid, it was typically a, a multiple of profit, essentially. And that's just a sentiment. It, it's between buyer and seller. I think it's worth a three multiple, a four multiple, a six, whatever. That, that's the process of negotiation. The difference now is that nobody can predict what future revenues are going to be. So whereas you take historic performance and say, well, this business traditionally does 5 million quid a year, makes a 15% net profit. We can see that pattern over the last five years. Okay, it's worth a multiple of X. That's, that's gone out the window. Because nobody can forecast now what's happening with coronavirus, what the market conditions are going to be like. I just described how we're planning for you know 20% cut in revenues across the board, just to be realistic. So if that's the case, how can anyone, seller or buyer, predict what those, re those revenues are going to be? It's just impossible. It's crystal ball gazing. So I believe that deals now, and we're making offers today based on earnouts. So we align the the payment schedule for the business, not necessarily the price, we still use some of the basic metrics around price, but we'll align the, the selling process, the buying process to future performance. So you might have heard the term earnout. Earnout is kind of pegged to future performance. So both parties will agree what they think, best guess, sales are going to be, and what they think margins might be. And essentially, it's a share of that margin. So if we're going to make half a million quid, a million quid in profit, that's what we predict. You, Mr. Seller, get 50%, and we as the buyer keep 50% to, to continue to invest in, in the business. And I think that's the only realistic way that sellers can exit from their companies. But there will be lots of motivated sellers who will go, yeah, that's fair enough, I get that. If I was you, I'd do the same. And the key to that is, as always, as I've always taught, is building rapport with sellers. Finding those people that need your help to exit uh, and build a win-win relationship with those sellers. It's not about exploitation. I, I believe in karma. If you go around exploiting people who are distressed and maybe ill or fed up or whatever, it will come back and bite you on the backside. So be fair and sensible, but there'll be a huge opportunity now for people to buy into good, strong companies with forecastable revenues, You know, businesses in sectors that... Uh, you know, going to have to continue to supply. I call them bog roll companies. Everybody uses bog roll every day. Yeah. So find those businesses that are going to continue to supply services that no matter what happens to a recession, people will still need. So for, for example, cleaning companies, drainage companies, um, utility services, all the stuff that human beings have to consume. Um, retail, going to be a nightmare. Consumer-facing business is going to be incredibly tough because people are just going to pull in and pull in and, and, and not spend. So I'd hate to be invested in retail right now. We already knew that the pub sector and hospitality and 
restaurants were really struggling. If you look at the major restaurant chains that went bust last year and, and Carluccio's went right at the start of coronavirus, it wasn't because of coronavirus, it's because it's incredibly tough to make, um, you know, restaurants succeed, uh, even in the good times. So now it's going to be a nightmare. I'd hate to be a landlord, uh, a, a publican. So it's that it's that sort of thought process, really, that, that I'd recommend to people to uh, to, to consider. Um, and, and that's where the future for reliable, repeatable income streams is going to come from, really. Mm. At the heart, obviously, of Wealth Builders is the seven pillars. And we talk about diversification across multiple pillars, and that can de-risk you. Certainly in times like this, it's become even more apparent that if you're building your wealth in just one way, then it can come uh, coupling down. So, um, you know, one of the pillars is is pensions. Um, mm-hmm. You've touched on pensions, but, uh, you know, we, we have SAS pensions as well. Many of our listeners will have money there. Um, do you have any comments as to, you know, using SAS money, investing in businesses and how those pillars can work together? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, if, we, if, we, if we think about pensions in the broadest sense, uh, I think pensions have been looking into the history of pensions and they were invented around about the end of the Second World War, because prior to that, pensions didn't really exist. And it was a concept that was it comes back to consumption. So the American government were keen to get Americans consuming again to drive the economy after the war. And so the concept of pensions was created so that whereas the, the pre-war generation, you know, saved for their retirement, put away money so that when they retired, um, they, they had enough money to live on and people didn't live very long after retirement anyway. So, so that was the system, but the American government needed people to buy cars and kitchens and all the things that I talked about before. So they said, Hey, if you start putting money into a pension, by the time you retire, that's where your cash will come from. We'll invest it. We're clever cl- clogs and we'll make it grow for you. So in the meantime, you can now go and invest. You can go and buy cars and kitchens and houses and so on. And that's how the consumer economy was driven in the second half of, of the last century. The problem with that, of course, is it's, dare I say, it's almost like an elaborate Ponzi scheme because of demographics. Because of the change in, in Western demographics, more and more old people looking to be supported by less and less young people coming into the working, uh, working market. And if you look at the trends of, of demography, if you look at the, the change in age in, in, in the UK, in America, in Western society, you've got this decline in birth rate, which has been continuing for some time. So there's less young people to drive the economy effectively to feed state pensions, all of which are effectively underfunded. There's nothing there. that The state pension relies on cash coming in from the taxpayer. And we all know what's going to happen to taxes as a result of, of coronavirus. And it's a similar story in, in, in investment, in the invex, investment sector of pensions. So you know, people like Standard Life. Um, so as more and more people start to draw down on those pensions, so the ability of the pension funds to get returns in traditional ways, whether that's the equity markets and so on, where often they are invested, or in the property sector, it's going to get harder and harder for those large pension funds to get the returns. And you're going to see pension funds going into deficit. You're going to see pension funds failing. There's going to be a mad scrabble, either to avoid paying out or, or looking for government bailout. And I think that's one of the reasons why SAS pensions have started to, to happen because people have looked at the projections of their so-called invested pension and gone, well, that's rubbish. I'll take control of my pension. 
which is in many ways the right thing to do. So people have gone, right, I, I, I've now got my pot. But of course, there's no, there's no expert pension manager managing that pot. It's them. Here you go, here's your money. Cheerio, off you go. And, and not unreasonably, the beginnings of that were, were in, in property or property development and, and returns have been okay. But sometimes not all the pot is invested. So you've got cash languishing going backwards because there's still a degree of inflation, however low. And, and a bit of head scratching is like, well, I've, I've put some into property. What else can I do? So one of the things that we've been doing uh, is to say, well, okay, here's a, here's a completely undervalued asset class, which is the shares in owner-managed companies. And there are thousands of them. You know, we've, we've done the research looking at, at the UK data. In the, in the UK alone, we've done some fresh data and we think, whereas we thought we were in the region of about 60,000, we, we, we've trimmed that back to about only 33,000 companies at any one time owned by baby boomers, boomers i.e. 60 to 75, perhaps a little bit less in some cases, who have to exit their company sooner or later. Now, if you're that company owner, you've only really got two choices. You either um, sell the business, and that could be to, to family, could be to management, or to a third party, um, or, or you close it. You know, that's it. There is no, it, it, it's a binary option, sell or close. I suppose the third one is that they could die, but let's not go there given coronavirus right now. So, you know, that's the cold, hard reality. So most kids don't want to buy their parents' company. They're not interested. Management teams are used to being employees and don't want to be an entrepreneur or take on the risk. So the only realistic uh, exit is, is a trade sale. A lot of business owners don't want to sell to a competitor because they know that the competitor would just asset strip the company. Um, they care about the legacy of their company massively. So they're looking for, you know, good relationships with honest buyers of their business, their baby that they've spent, you know, 15, 20, 30, 40 years building up to look after it for them and take it to the next level. And that's our whole approach. If you look at our website, you'll see that's, that's the whole ethics, the values-driven approach that we have to buying companies. But from an investment point of view, if you're a SaaS pension holder, there's a massive market opportunity to get into that. Um, you'll get the same alpha returns that you might get, say, from a property uh, option. Um, by option, I mean, uh, you know, perhaps one of the, uh, uh, what do they call them, the peer-to-peer -peer lenders, you know, these kind of syndicated opportunities, um, uh, or, or just a straightforward investment to a developer, for example, or, or a portfolio purchase or whatever. The difference I would urge people to think about, though, is in, in property, it's, it, property can only give a finite return. And there's a strong case to argue that property might well get spanked in the coming recession anyway. So values might be dropping rather than growing. But let's assume that, that property is, is okay um, for a moment. Property still only can grow at a very finite uh, amount. So the value of property is dictated largely by um, equity values and, and they they haven't grown much in the last 10 years in truth um or the quality of the tenant if it's commercial property and and the, and the tenure or the quality of of the residential um customers so th there are limits to what you can do with property you can you can you know tart it up make it a bit better but after that there's not much you can do the market dictates the growth value but in business it's infinite um, if you're good at business and you grow that business, they can grow and grow and grow. First company we acquired was doing 3.2 million. 
after two years, it's at five million um, pre-coronavirus. So you can't do that with property, but you can grow businesses if you get the processes right. So the opportunity both for cash revenue and equity value is considerable. And so I'd really recommend um, SaaS pension trustees to start to think about that emerging asset class as, as very uh, underutilized, very under uh, identified almost, because the businesses that we look at are between typically kind of 2 million to 20 million revenue, and there's lots of them. Um, but private equity uh, funds tend not to go down to that level because they, they're chasing the big returns for their investors, for their funds. They've got to make, you know, a lot of money uh, and and the time that they'd spend to buy a five million pound company just wouldn't give them the return that they need so there's not a lot of people fishing in that pond but there's a big need in that pond to to exit so, so now is an amazing time to look at those businesses and find the business to business companies that can ride the recession strong balance sheet good client relationships 20 30 year old established companies that can be taken and grown. So that's that's my strong advice. And we've been really busy working on how that can be developed with some of our partners as well, including Kevin and, and some of the other guys in the network. So I'm really, really excited about the opportunity that uh, that, that is represented by this. It's been fascinating uh, speaking with you guys. Is there anything before we go that you'd like to um, cover either for existing business owners and, and how they might manage the, the time ahead or for someone who's looking to acquire in the next you know one to two years? My, my best advice for existing business owners, cash. Just focus on cash. Get as much money into the bank as you can in reserve. See bills, bounce backs, whatever it takes. Look after your customers. Um, be good to them and, and make sure you collect your cash on time uh, and, and, and just sit on as much cash as you need, as you can get hold of, because that's what everyone's going to need. In terms of investment, start thinking away from property. Find other asset classes that are not going to be affected by um, by the pandemic and the effects of the pandemic. And I'm happy, you know, over the course of the next few months, hopefully more information will emerge around how to acquire shares in, in, these, uh, in this underutilized asset class. Um, but but think broadly and, and, and understand what's happening in the world economy and you should be in a good place to come through this. Guy, thanks so much for sharing with us again on Wealth Talk today. Pleasure. Thanks, Chris. I think what Guy says there highlights that for anyone interested in adding business acquisition to their portfolio of strategies for building wealth, now could be a great time for doing so. It does. What's interesting to me about business, I love business, as you know, Chris, is that, and Guy makes the point very well, is in any other asset, you've got mathematical models, essentially, that will determine the degree to which an asset can grow. You know, the stock market is governed by mathematics. You've got property portfolios and, and generally uh, those who invest in property, there's a mathematic to the market. The thing about business is there's no homogenous market. You know, business can be infinite in terms of its return if you can spot what really makes a business of extraordinary value. And I think he hints at some of those, and I don't mind covering some of those as well, if um, 
if you want me to touch on them. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, one thing we've talked about many times on Wealth Talk is the ability to generate that recurring income stream inside your business. Well, a business that's valued is almost always valued <clears throat> mathematically by accountants and other trained professionals to be some measure of a mathematical formula, generally speaking, between um, you know multiple of profit, uh, so the, the profit and the multiple, really. The degree to which you can see a business, though, with a high degree of recurring income, and then you can show that business owner how to remove the dependency of that business on the owner, you can dramatically affect the multiple. And, of course, by creating recurring income, you can affect profitability. So if you can work on both of those and compound both of those, and that's a skill. And it's not always a skill that the original business owner might have, Chris. And as um, uh, I think he puts it, you know, you can have distress in businesses or distressed owners, but you don't have distressed businesses. The businesses can be in good shape. But the business owner, himself or herself, have become weary. So instead of walking away from their business as wealthy people, they want to walk away and very wearily indeed. So by helping them, get a bigger and a better value for a good business that you can see. It means learning how to spot recurring income in business and how to spot a business that can be systematically turned around from depending on the owner to not depending on the owner at all. And those are the two biggest variables to me that have the biggest degree of impact on the ultimate value of a business. Yeah. And um, Guy mentioned as well, with, of course, the current conditions around coronavirus, that it's going to get a lot harder to predict that future recurring income now, because for a lot of markets, that's kind of unknown quantity now. So obviously, models need to change. And Guy was saying that they'll now be looking a bit more at future revenue and earn out as a, as a way of being able to you know, acquire more businesses as they move forwards. Yeah, which is, which is really good for the acquirer. It's less good for the seller generally speaking, because an earnout meaning you agree a sale price, but the sale price is dependent um, upon reaching either certain milestones or certain timeframes, so, which is a good way to share in the profit with the business owner because in many cases the increase in profit that you can make by bringing your skill to it pays for the sale of the business. So in other words, you don't actually need to buy the business, you create more revenue from the selling of it. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's different. It's a fundamentally different way. It's um, not unlike rent to rent in property. You know, you don't own the business. You um, you essentially rent it from the business owner until such time as you then agree a sale and then you both share in the sale value. Very interesting way to do business. And I know, you know, why you love business so much. We talk about ROI and Guy mentioned that in property, there tends to be a limit on the ROI you can get on a good deal. Um, whereas with business, there really isn't, is there? Yeah, I mentioned that just a minute ago. So you're absolutely right. The other thing you mentioned, of course, right now, and I think it's true when you have black swan events like COVID, is the importance of being ready for those opportunities, Chris. And that readiness is twofold, really. Ready in terms of having the time to spot those opportunities, and we certainly have more time now than we've had before. And then secondly is having cash, you know, at least some cash. And more business uh, 
opportunities will reveal themselves and property opportunities come to that for those who have got themselves in a place of good liquidity. And I think that's a very valuable lesson. I think he termed it as cash is king, uh, which we've heard that phrase before, but probably never truer than in today's environment. And for anyone listening, Kevin, who maybe is not familiar with SaaS as a type of pension, how can that help someone who perhaps is interested in looking to buy shares into businesses and acquire businesses? Well, you know, a SaaS small self-administered scheme, not a very sexy title, we know, but essentially it's business owners taking control of their own pensions so that it reflects what they're interested in, not a reflection simply of the stock market. So if you want to almost turn your pension into a business and that business is the business of property, you could do that. If you want the business to be the business of acquiring shares in other businesses, you could do that. If you even want to turn your pension into a source of funding for your own business, you could do that. And can you imagine how many affected business owners today, Chris, would have been better off had they had a control over their pension funds and been able to lend their own pension to their business to keep it going? Um, so in many uh, situations, a SaaS is a wonderfully powerful thing for any business owner to have or any wealth builder to have come to that. And um being a trustee means you have to learn some of these skills, the skills of property, the skills of diversification, the skills of business. So it's a great tool because it helps you not just have the funds to do it, but also gives you a pathway to get the right skill, the right connections. And of course, we've got a huge community of people who are doing that through a great group, Chris, that um, you know I support and I'm a director of called uh, SAS Alliance sasalliance.org for anybody interested in just following the size, the scope and the friendliness of that community. Definitely worth a look. So if buying a business is, is something that obviously you need to understand. And I think anyone who's interested, um, we could certainly point them in the direction of Guy. And um, Guy does some great work, um, not just around purchasing businesses himself, but obviously working with other people who would like to learn that skill. Absolutely. And, and Guy and I will work together to to bring to our own membership, Chris, some of those skills so they're taught and they're passed on and therefore they can be executed. So Guy's willing to share his IP with us and we're looking forward to that opportunity. Mm. And perhaps we can give a little teaser as to our guest next week as well. And um, someone also talking about business and um, a very smart woman indeed. Yeah, Shweta, Shweta Jaria, a difficult name to spell, but you'll get it. But she's sharp as a tack. I mean, she's just incisive in her ability. And I'd say look out for that one because uh, she's got some news to share. Great stuff. Thanks for listening today, Kevin. Good to catch up with you. Catch you on the next episode of Wealth Talk. Look forward to it, Chris. Until then, see ya. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget that we are constantly updating our resources inside the Wealth Builders membership site to help you create, build and protect your wealth. Head over to wealthbuilders.co.uk slash membership right now for free access. That's wealthbuilders.co.uk slash membership.